0: Let's pray as we prepare our hearts to spend some time in his word this morning. Father, we come before you now and we just echo what we've heard uh, by the power of your spirit from your scriptures, Lord. It's true that from you and through you and to you are all things. Yours is the glory forever. And Father, we pray that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear afresh this morning of your goodness as we open up your scriptures, Lord, we pray as we often do that you would guard us from error and guide us in your truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been on quite a journey this summer where we've been asking the question together, how does scripture shape how we sing? Today is the final installment in our sermon series and in our prayer as we've just been working through uh, this particular topic of biblical singing is simply that you would see from the pages of scripture that singing is a very big deal to God. So as we close this morning our, our series and begin to move in a different direction this fall, I want to take just a moment to, to give a brief survey of where God's word has taken us. How, how has God's word shaped or how has it informed how we as his people sing? We started out with the, the why, just the 50,000 foot view of biblical singing, why it's so important to God's heart. And we learned first and foremost that we sing because God commands it. We sing because it's not a, a suggestion for us as the people of Christ to do it. It's a divine imperative. In fact, we saw that there were over 50 50 direct commands from Scripture to sing. Like, like this one in Psalm 149.1 where the psalmist exhorts the people of God, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. See, it's biblical. A new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Where? His praise in the assembly of the godly. Where's that? Yeah. Where God's people gather, that's where praise should be found. And, and when we gather together, one of the things that should, should mark the people of God is is songs. Songs of praise that echo his renown. That means that on one level, our singing is simply an obedience issue. We sing because God tells us to, because God calls us to. We also saw that we sing to the Lord because we are compelled to do so. We're compelled to sing by his worth and by his goodness. Yes, we're commanded, but but it's not a, a, a duty it's it's a delight David sings King David 3,000 years ago in Psalm 27 uh, verse 4 one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life David's singing to God I just want to be where you are Lord To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Why do we sing to God? Well, because He commands us to. Because His worth, His goodness compels us to. And thirdly, we sing to the Lord because we were created to. Because we were created for God's eternal praise. In short, we were made for this. We are made for worship. And for all eternity, God's people are going to be singing... His praises. So, the why of our singing is important. We don't just sort of uh, go through the motions. It's it's critical to God. It's important to God that we, His people, praise Him. We also saw that, that the how of our singing, that the methods of our praise are informed by Scripture. We saw in Psalm 150 a, a variety of expressions and instrumentation used to praise the Lord. Man, instruments we don't even have anymore. Use those to praise God. That's that's how the the songbook of Israel, the Psalms, ends. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We saw also that God's word teaches his people that it's good and it's right to sing both old songs and new songs remember that. We've, we've featured it already this morning in our praise. We're going to see it again later as we dive more deeply into God's Word. So we, we started with the big picture. Why, why, why are we beating this singing drum so hard so often? Well, because God cares deeply about His people and their praise, and, and He, in, through His Word, informs how it ought to happen. And then for the past five weeks, we've simply been taking some time together to look at biblical examples. Man, there's just songs littered all throughout this book, all throughout Scripture. And so, uh, in by no means an exhaustive way, we've just selected different categories of songs and said, see, hey, here you go. Here, here's an example of, of biblical singing and, and here's what we can learn from it. So we covered songs of salvation in Exodus 15 as God parts the Red Sea. How do his people respond to their redemption? Well, they praise him, they sing. It's an entire chapter worth of song, Exodus 15. We, we sing songs of lament. Now, those aren't really popular, but God's people sing and blink through tears. As we saw this morning, just a moment ago, in Psalm 13, nearly a third of the psalms are psalms of lament. God's people sing through their sorrow. We sing songs of delight. We we, we featured Psalm 84 as as we just looked at examples of how the sheer delight, the sheer goodness of God wells up within his people a joyful song. A few weeks back, Benjamin led us through Acts 16, and we saw how uh, there, there are these types of songs that just overwhelm us. They overshadow us and cause us to rise above our circumstances as Paul and Silas. Acts 16, are singing in a prison cell at midnight. And then last week, as we gathered together, we looked at an example of a battle song. 2 Chronicles 20 is, Jehoshaphat sings before the Lord in the midst of conflict. Today, friends, we're just going to wrap this thing up. There's many more songs in Scripture, but we're going to conclude with a final category of singing And uh, these songs I'll simply call Songs Yet to Come. There are many songs in Scripture that point God's people toward the future. Songs yet to come. Here's the point. Not only has singing marked God's people throughout all of redemptive history. You look back over your biblical shoulder and you see all the singing that's come before us. So also will God's people continue to be singing throughout eternity? So turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book where there are more songs found than any other in all the New Testament, to the book of Revelation. Revelation, we'll we'll be in chapter five. We'll we'll take a moment to set the stage and build some context. In in fact, as we're thinking about songs to come, songs in, in the future, Uh, packaged for us in the the revelation of of Jesus to his servant, John, the apostle, different biblical commentators add up songs or song song fragments to total as many as 15 songs scattered all throughout the book of Revelation. One of my favorite songs in this book is found in Revelation 15 verses 3 and 4. Let me just give you a taste of this song yet to come. Because this package is something we've been been talking about a whole lot throughout this series. Revelation 15, 3 and 4. And they sing in heaven, this window into heaven. John writes, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. In heaven, they're singing Moses' song. Question, is that an old song or a new song? Yeah, that's a very, very old song that they're still singing is it biblical to sing old songs you better believe it they sang the song of moses the servant of god and there's another song coming and the song of the lamb now that's a new song in heaven Singing old songs and new songs. The song of the Lamb. Saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. We've been singing about that today, haven't we? Holy, holy, holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So friends... As we seek to shape our singing in 2022 here at FCC, at the Friendship Community Church, around the biblical tenets that God has laid out for us. I think one thing that we want to continue to do is just mirror what's happening here in, in heaven. We want to be a people marked by singing old songs and people who sing new songs to the Lord. Just like here in Revelation 15 as we prepare our hearts for communion today, in gratitude for all Christ has done for us in purchasing our salvation, I want us to look at one final song in this series. So so turn to me, if you're not already there, in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Let's read together this amazing song. Uh, We'll start with the setup. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle John writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Who's that? God. Not a trick question. God is seated on the throne of heaven. I saw in the right hand of God, him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, John writes, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. So we're We're coming to the song here, the the new song featured here at the end, here in Revelation chapter 5, but there's a lot of good stuff before we just dive into these lyrics. So so let's make sure we're tracking, let's make sure we're understanding what's happening here in the heavenly throne room in Revelation chapter 5. John sees in God's hand a scroll, right? Right? A scroll with with seven seals. Oftentimes, at times in this day in the first century, an important document would be sealed with a wax seal. Oftentimes, a signet ring impressed in on that. Again, break this seal, but on the authority of the one who sealed it. Seven seals. Remember, seven—the number of completion, the number of perfection. This scroll is perfectly sealed. And this is a scroll so sacred that no one in the universe, I mean, you read that, right? No one in heaven, no, no angel, no created being, no one on earth, no one even under the earth is worthy to open it. I like how one biblical commentator puts it. He writes, a, a mighty angel shouts out a challenge for anyone to come forth who is worthy to open this great scroll and its seals. And all creation in heaven, on earth, and under the earth stood motionless and speechless. No one can open this thing. John's response, verse four, is what? He's he's undone, isn't he? Look at look at your Bibles. Verse four. He's weeping. Why is he weeping? What's the deal? Well there's no one who can who can open this scroll. It's God's scroll. Translation, there's no one to carry out God's final redemptive purposes. If you keep reading, you'll, you'll figure out exactly what's in that scroll. And it's some heavy stuff. I mean, read through Revelation chapters 6 and 7 and into 8. And you'll see that these seals contain the judgments of God. And the redemption of his people. The scroll contains then God's pronouncements of the end. His future judgments, which are chilling. Will God not make right all that's broken? Who's going to fix this mess? John is weeping. There's no one. And in the midst of the tension, we feel this, don't we? It's almost as... As if to borrow the words of Scripture elsewhere, there is not one righteous. No, not one. But then, the one. The one and only emerges. One of the elders speaks up and he says, John, stop it, buddy. No. You don't need to weep anymore because there is one and only one who has conquered. And he announces him. Look at verse 5. Who is he? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a messianic title now from the Old Testament. He's the lion, which would make sense because the lion symbolizes victory. He has conquered. Of course, the lion has conquered. But then John turns to see this lion and what's he see in verse 6? Not a lion, but he sees a lamb. Isn't that fascinating? The lion is the lamb. And not just any lamb. Look at verse 6 now. He's a lamb standing as though he had been slain because he had. Remember how John the Baptist introduces the lion of the tribe of Judah? The Messiah. The Son of God and the Savior of the world. The beginning of the book of John, he sees him coming from afar and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is. He's the lion and he's the lamb. And note that there's some interesting sevens going on here, isn't there? S- seven. Seven, again, the number of completion. Seven horns. Oh, I often. Try to picture that in my mind's eye. I don't even know where they would go, but seven horns. What, what are the seven horns? Well, a horn is a symbol of strength, of power. What's John saying? He's saying this this conqueror, this lion lamb, this messiah is completely strong. Seven horns and seven eyes. Complete knowledge. He sees Everything He's omniscient, isn't He? We're told these eyes are the seven spirits of God. Elsewhere written in, in chapter 1 to, to symbolize the one perfect and complete Holy Spirit of God. And in heaven, God the Father seated on the throne. These heavenly beings fall down. And worship the Lamb. Now, look at verse 9. They're going to sing to Him. They're going to worship Him with a new song. And and if there was ever a mark of unquestioned deity as it relates to the Lamb of God, to Jesus, then, gosh, this this is one pretty clear picture here. Who does God share His glory with? Nobody. He is God and God alone. And yet they're worshiping right next to the throne. They're worshiping the lamb. They're worshiping the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because he's God. He is the eternal son. One with the father. One with the spirit. He has the seven spirits. They belong to him. The spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. You've got the triune God right here featured in Revelation 5. And they sing to him, the Lamb, a new song. Let's read it. Pick uh, picking up in verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Question. Why are they singing this song to the Lamb in heaven? Don't look at me. Look, look at your, this here. Why? The answer, why are they singing to the Lamb? Because He's worthy. Isn't that the first word of the song? Worthy are you. Next question What reason do they give for the worthiness of this Lamb? Why is He able to open the scrolls, to unlock the manifold plan and purpose of God? Why Him? Well, the reason that they give at the end of verse 9 is what? You were slain and you ransomed. I love that word. You know what a ransom is? It's a monetary term. The word literally translated from, from Greek. Revelation was written in Koine Greek. The word literally means to buy or to purchase. You were ransomed. People for God. Because you were lost. You belonged to another master. And he was a cruel taskmaster. And he bought you with his blood. It's like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to Him, friend. If you're in Jesus, you are His possession. He ransomed you. He paid a price on your head, on your soul. And now you're His. Note the scope of this great salvation. I love it. Verse 9. Who gets to enjoy this heavenly ransom? Well, people from every tribe... Every language, every people, every nation. For the record, this is exactly what Jesus says at the end of the Gospels. Jesus dies. He pours his blood out, the the ransom, the payment for our sin, for our debt, for our shame eternally. And then he rises from the grave. And before he ascends to heaven to wait for all creation to be redeemed. He tells His people, here's the plan. I want you to know, this is called the Great Commission. By the way, just fact check me. Matthew 28, it's how the the Gospel of Matthew ends. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me, Jesus says. It's mine. Now, knowing that, Knowing that I have seven horns. All the power belongs to me. Complete power. I'm sending you out as my people. And what did he send us to do? He said, make disciples. Where? Didn't that sound familiar? Of all nations. All. The Greek word is Ethnos. Every ethnicity. Same word here in Revelation 5. Every ethnos, every tribe and language and people will be represented there before the Lamb of God singing His praises. It reminds you that we're not playing church around here. It reminds you that as we are beginning to meet every Monday night to pray about and to, to, to commit to, to establishing missions here as a greater priority through the Perspectives class, but so much more than that. We ought to be committed to this mission with our, with our money, with our time, with our service, with our prayer. Every nation, and people. Now, look how this thing swells. I want you to see this. The the first people singing to the Lamb, are a relatively contained group, a, a relatively elite group, wouldn't you agree? The four living creatures and the 24 elders, they're singing the first verse of the song. Now look with me in verse 11. Let's keep reading. The choir begins to build. Verse 11. Then I look. They're singing now. The twenty eight, the four elders and the twenty four or twenty four elders and the four living creatures are are singing. And and then I look, John continues, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. How many, John? Numbering myriads of myriads in thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy. And how the song started? They pick up. Here's verse 2. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see it? Myriads and myriads. More, a- more angels than you have a compartment for in your brain begin to echo out in a heavenly chorus. And look what they do now. If you're counting. Did you count them? They are attributing to him sevenfold praise. Count them now. You're worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Seven. What are they saying? You are worthy of it all. Complete praise. And then something unprecedented happens. This mighty throng of angel song swells to an unimaginable crescendo as John continues. Read with me in verse 13. Here comes verse 3. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Who? Every creature. everywhere. Right? Every creature. And all that is in them saying. To him who sits on the throne. Who is that now? God the Father. And to the Lamb. Because they're one. God the Father and God the Son who holds the seven spirits. The perfect Spirit. To Him who sits on the throne, they sing unto the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, so let it be. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow. This is a big choir. Would you agree? Who's singing? Every creature. Finally, John sees through the inspiration of the spirit. What is to come? He sees every creature in the entire created order. How are the porpoises in the sea supposed to sing? I don't know. But they're going to. In heaven and on earth and under the earth everyone joins in. They join the what? They join the song. The s- song. Why do we sing? Because you were made for this. You were made to echo the praises of your creator. Of your sustainer. Of your redeemer. Kind of reminds me of that passage. You know that famous passage in Philippians 2. Talking about Jesus. Where the apostle Paul writes again under the inspiration of the spirit. And he, he says at the name of Jesus now. I want you to know that every knee will bow. In heaven And on earth and under the earth. Sounding familiar? And every tongue confess. What are they confessing? That the Lamb is worthy. That Jesus is God. And listen now. They're not just saying it. They're singing it. Do you see? Do you see it here? Revelation 5. They're extolling the praises of the Lamb through song. Why have we spent so many weeks this summer beating this row? this is where your eternity is going and so in a very simple way i don't have a threefold alliterated application for you today i'm just going to put a cap on this series by asking you the question and i want in the quietness of your own heart to answer this before the lord are you singing just make that a simple application from this whole series. Ask yourself, "Am I singing?" But it's hard, Zeb. I know that's why a third of the songs are psalms are laments, right? But you don't know what's going on. Well, neither did Paul and Silas, well, they were in prison. Shackled and having their feet stretched apart to the breaking point in the stocks, not knowing what aw- awaited them at dawnbreak. And they're singing, do you see it? He is worthy. Are you singing? The question is not, is this song my preference? Come on now. We church people are good at asking that question. If you're asking, is he talking about me? I'm not talking about anybody. But if the Holy Spirit is convicted, this, the question is not, is this song to my personal preference? The question is, friend, is he worthy? We don't sing to the Lamb... Because it lines up, the song that we're singing lines up with our stylistic, preferential, what have you. Did you notice here in Revelation 5? There was no one hanging out in the corner of the heavenly throne room saying, nah, I'll join in the next one. This one's not really my style, not feeling the beat. Let me remind you, friends, where we started. With this driving and biblical conviction that the music we sing at church, the music we sing when the body of Christ gathers, should not be shaped by personal preference. It should be shaped by biblical priority. We can't keep up with your desires. Nor should we be trying. Capish? The Apostle Paul writes, If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This isn't about you. This isn't about your generation. This isn't about... Your personal stylistic preferences. Remember how we started? Who likes rap music? Who likes metal? Who likes classic rock? Who likes hymns? It doesn't matter. Every tribe and language and people and nation. The question is not, did I like it? The question is, friend, is he worthy? And he is. One marked, one mark of the ransomed, one mark of the redeemed is that they sing. And we're going to get the chance in just a moment to sing a simple chorus. We've been singing around here for years. It's called Thank You, Lord. And it's just a response to the Lamb who ransomed our souls with His blood. It's a response, to borrow the words elsewhere from Scripture, to the One who bore our sins, our sins, in His body on the tree. Interesting, isn't it, that in heaven, John sees the Lamb and he still bears the marks Of his death. He's the lion. Yes, he's the lion. And he's the lamb. Who was slain to ransom your soul. So what do we do? And we're not making this up. We just gather. Week in and week out. Lord's day after Lord's day. And we say... Is the Lamb. Completely worthy. Seven times worthy. Completely holy. Threefold holy to receive all I've gotta all I've gotta give. Well, I'm tired, Zeb. The storm woke me up all throughout the night. I know you're tired. Is he worthy? You see the state of my family? I'm sick. I'm in pain. I know. Is he worthy? Yeah. And so we're going to sing. Thank you. Lord. For saving my soul. We're going to sing. Thank you to the Lamb of God. For making me whole. Thank you for giving to, to me. Even me. Life and salvation so rich and free. We got one more thing to do before we sing. And that's to remember the cost that our singing was purchased at. That's what this table's all about. We call it communion. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And the elders are going to come forward. A couple of them are out of town, so there might be some extras up here. And we're going to distribute the elements. A little cube of bread and a little cup of juice. And we're going to sit and marvel at the, inter- at the eternal inheritance that is ours at the privilege we have of singing to the Lamb because He died for our sin. And that's the Gospel. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the very night, He broke bread. And said, this is is me. This is what I'm about to do for you. This is my body broken for you. He passed around the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant. I'm doing something new. And it's written in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, this is a holy moment. Do you feel this? No matter if you feel it or not, it's here. And he's worthy because with his blood, with his broken body, by his stripes, He ransomed you forever, for heaven.